0: Hello. Welcome to Rap Party with Prime Video. This is the podcast that extends an invitation to you, our lovely listeners, to a party like no other. It's imaginary. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and joining me throughout this series, tearing up the imaginary dance floor, is Michael Leader. Hi, Michael.
1: Hi, Rihanna. Nerd in Residence, Michael Leader, talking here. You know, I'm not really <laughs> the party going type, but this is the sort of party I would go to a party full of the people who make the movies I love. Yes. Where we get to talk to them every week about the films we love and learn more about them. Isn't that the right sort of party? The only real party that matters. Yeah, the
0: rat party is perfect. It's perfect for you. So, this week, the craft that we're delving into is criminally underrated, I think, and that is title design. (laughs) Michael, you are the font. Of all knowledge, when it comes to film (laughs) crafts, I'm I'm so sorry. Tell us a little bit more about the world of title design and why it's so important.
1: Well, you said that it was a criminally underrated craft, right? And I completely agree. This is a craft that can absolutely make or break a film because often it's the very first thing people are going to see, (laughs) even in TV as well. You think of the opening titles of a show. You, they have title design all the way through it. Yeah. You think about a film, of course, there's the opening titles, but also the poster itself may have the title design that is reflected in the film as well. So often you think about classic, iconic films, it's the title design that comes to mind. Yes. So for I me, agree. Back to the Future, Indiana Jones. James Bond 007, the design of the of the gun barrel logo. Nice. What films come to mind for you?
0: Star Wars with that yellow outline uh, with a black background. Jurassic Park with the sort of red stripes going through. And I think that's from the book as well. So that's quite a nice, you yeah, know, that kind yeah. of carries that through to the film. Also Frozen, oh. like the title of Frozen, mm-hmm. I think, has become more and more used like every day. But it's very impactful, immediate. You see that font and you know exactly what film it is whether or not it says frozen which i you know that's the point right like when you can make when you can own a font Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that becomes your film like no other film will ever be able to use it without it referencing that film
1: is that like papyrus with avatar (laughs)
0: exactly (laughs) exactly that's exactly what it is and then it becomes like a joke in itself Mm -hmm. i love that i love how it just becomes embedded in like nerd culture (laughs)
1: And we're talking here about big, bold, brash design Mm -hmm. here, which is becoming defining in its own right. Often there are much more subtle, much more simple design choices that can linger in the mind. One film that comes to mind for me with this is The Shining, where you have that neon blue at the beginning. Uh It's different from the very terrifying yellow poster. (laughs) But in the film, it's much more simple. And also this is where you get into very important decisions, but more subtle decisions like what font to use for maximum impact. Mm-hmm. And that's one where Kubrick goes with Helvetica.
0: Right, it's very simple. Yeah. And also I suppose it lends itself to, you can watch the tiny little car meandering through the hills while the titles are doing that slow crawl mm-hmm. as well. It doesn't detract from like that dread-soaked opening.
1: Yeah, and we're getting down the rabbit hole of design Discourse here once we start mentioning fonts by name. Another man who loves a good font is Wes Anderson, of course. The Futura Bold font that <laughs> pops up all the way through his yes. films. In fact, there's a link there, isn't there? Kubrick uses that in Eyes Wide Shut. Wes Anderson picks up the mantle, uses that in Fantastic Mr. Fox and beyond. I don't know, is that the only connection between Eyes Wide Shut and Fantastic Mr. Fox? Oh, let's you're gonna hope so. hear made on the podcast.
0: <laughs> let's hope so. See, that's why you're here. Like I would never have made that connection. But something that I do really love with title design and opening sequences is that, you know, some people, you might think it's almost like a prologue to a film, but actually... My favorite thing is when they mesh them together, directors and title designers, to make the titles feel like they're baked in together. <laughs> Even in and I think this was done more through financial issues than anything else but in like Napoleon Dynamite. Right. You see like the titles written out in ketchup or in mustard or in foodstuffs on a plate. And like you see him going through his wallet at the beginning and it says starring, you know, Mm -hmm. and with a little kind of identity card. And I love all that kind of stuff as well. I think Edgar Wright is a great one for this. So in Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fires, The World's End, all of his title designs has some link to the film. And especially like in Shaun of the Dead, the titles at the beginning are literally on a conveyor belt in a supermarket. So they're part of the action, which I always find really exciting. Also, especially with Edgar Wright, who can forget the opening of Baby Driver? With the music and the movement and the titles all working in harmony to create just one of the best opening sequences of all time.
1: I would not disagree one jot rihanna but already we're talking about so many different nerdy aspects (laughs) of the craft that is title design i hope we've now painted a picture about what this craft entails we're very lucky to have the perfect person to talk to to illuminate further don't we teddy blanks brooklyn based the hippest titles designer (laughs) in the world if you ask me he's too cool he has worked on so many great independent features and tv series in the last 10 15 years Mm -hmm. really the man We'd want to talk to if we want to talk about title design.
0: Hundred percent, because he's worked with Ari Aster, mm-hmm. who again master of design in his movies, but like Midsummer, Hereditary. If you go back and look at those titles, there is some really interesting stuff in there. So that's something that I can't wait to delve into with Teddy.
1: And the thing I hope that comes up in this conversation is Alex Ross Perry, a filmmaker he has had a long collaboration with across films like most recently Her Smell. Oh yeah, with Elizabeth Moss. Exactly, this sort of 90s grungy fictional Mm -hmm. biopic where he was allowed to go completely wild with lots of 90s-esque music, (laughs) fonts and designs. Really I can't wait to talk to Teddy Blanks.
0: But also he's done work with Greta Gerwig. And I know, like, Greta Gerwig is such a specific perfectionist. So it'll be really interesting to hear him talking about creating the look of Lady Bird, like Mm -hmm. literally the word Lady Bird. Do you remember it's kind of in that... Almost church font, exactly, is that like what you yeah. call
1: it. And then most recently, Little Women as well, yeah. where the f- title design font of the film is the titles of the first edition of the book Little Women, as you see in the film. At it's the end.
0: just like a nerd's paradise. <laughs> right? You must be so in your element about to talk to Teddy.
1: <laughs> oh, Exactly. And it's not just film, it's TV too. A TV series I really like uh-huh. is Mozart in the Jungle, which is... A series where the title design at the beginning of the episode changes from season to season, looking at New York through music. Oh, wow. It's going to be a really fun thing to talk about as
0: well. It is, it's like a lot of responsibility, I think, those opening titles, because sometimes if you're flicking through something and the titles don't grab you, you could easily move on to something else. So it does feel like a, a quite a big burden. So I am delighted that we're getting to talk to, basically, the guy who does it better than most. Here is Teddy Blanks.
1: So Teddy, this is a podcast and we're talking about something very visual, the title designs. However, when we think about certain films, it is often the title treatment, the title design that comes to mind first. So I wondered, are there any title designers and maybe their title designs that you talk about as the all time iconic titles?
2: Sure. I think most people think of Saul Bass when they think of title design. And he's a guy who worked with Hitchcock and worked with Otto Priminger and sort of has this very minimalist style and is sort of known as the godfather of title design, um, who was the first one to do these really cool animated sequences for Psycho, the man with the golden arm. And he's the one who really got me into it in the first place in design school when I was seeing his title sequences. But you know i've been doing this for about 10 years and i think through that process i've realized i'm not the sort of artist who has a recognizable style so i've been more attracted to title designers like dan perry who has a very long career and who you can never really tell that he did the titles until you see his name in the credits and you know he did the titles for a lot of scorsese movies like raging bull after Hours, which has this great kind of 80s font where the O is the hands of a clock. He did um, a lot of Coen Brothers movies like Raising Arizona, where the picture is inside of the type. And he doesn't really have a recognizable style like Saul best but he just sort of designs the font for the movie itself. And that's kind of the approach I take as well.
0: So at what stage do you come on board if, you know, is it a director that approaches you? How many concepts do you have to bring to sort of get the job? Tell us about that initial process. Yeah,
2: I'm usually brought on board... In the post-production stage, I'm usually seeing a rough cut. Sometimes it's the director who brings me on board. If it's a director I've worked with before, oftentimes it's the post-production supervisor who is the person that's just sort of in charge of hiring the title designer and hiring all of the sort of key Post-production heads and, you know, I usually take a look at a rough cut and then I'll have a phone call with the director and sometimes the producers and then we sort of go from there.
0: So does it vary? Like, do different directors like to get really involved with title design? Do some just let you bring them stuff? How does it work?
2: It completely varies from filmmaker to filmmaker. It's very rare that I'll get sort of a formal brief that sort of says, here's what we're looking for, here's what we need. It's usually kind of a series of conversations uh, with the director that we sort of find what the right vibe would be for the movie. Sometimes the director will have a folder of images or references that they want me to take a look at that will, you know, sort of give me the the idea of what they're going for, to give you an idea of the gamut it can run. I'm working right now with Regina King on her feature directorial debut. And I had a call with her where she just sort of said to me, look, I don't know anything about fonts. This is the kind of thing I never (laughs) notice. um, But show me some stuff. I will know what I like when I see it. And, you know, I gave her my first round of options and she was extremely confident picked one, and we just sort of ran with it. And that's a great scenario. Someone who's just completely upfront about, you know, I don't really have a strong idea about this, but I will know what fits my movie when I see it.
0: (laughs) I mean, first of all, I love Regina King, and I absolutely can see her just being like, I don't know about fonts, you do it. So (laughs) when you are faced with that sort of question, how many concepts do you design per film to bring to the director? That varies from film to
2: film, certainly. I mean, some of that is just based on, I mean, just to be perfectly honest, the budget of the movie. With movies with bigger titles budgets, I definitely do a wider initial pass. I mean, for that one, because she had said that to me, I really did want to show her a pretty wide range of ideas so that we can narrow down to something. So I probably did 15 or so options on that one, just so we had kind of a full plate to look at, just really different stuff. And she was completely right about herself. She knew what she liked when she saw it Mm -hmm. and knew it immediately, which one it was, which was really cool. And on the other hand, I recently worked with the director Janik Sabravo on her movie Zola that's coming out from A24. And she had actually designed the titles herself for her previous film, Lemon, and was really good and had designed temporary titles for the whole movie, Zola. And so I kind of came on board Being a little bit like, well, you know, I mean, you've kind of already got it. She was like, yeah, I know. I like what I have. She had picked this very 70s font called Mater Ombre, one that I had actually always loved. It's very obscure, and I've been sort of trying to pitch it to people for years, so we were already on the same page there. And she was just like, you know, I really love this font, but I don't love the letter Z. It looks weird to me. Can we redraw the Z? I mean, I still did a full process where I showed her a bunch of different ideas, but it was always with the knowledge that probably we'll end up landing on the font that she had originally chosen, which we did. And what I did was just sort of give it kind of a cool airbrushed feel. And then I redrew the Z, and then the titles were basically her vision from the beginning, and I was just there to execute it.
1: It's so funny that you've landed on the letter Z there because one of my maybe flippant questions for you is Is there a letter of the alphabet that you just hate having to design?
2: (laughs) That's a funny question. I mean, I would say that is kind of font specific. Sometimes a certain letter can make or break a Typeface I don't think there's any one letter across all fonts that I would say hate or love but there are some letters where if I see a font with the leg that hangs off the R and it looks weird I'll just be like ah, i can't I can't deal with this or just redraw the R if I don't like it but I like the rest of the font a recent example is I'm working on a film now that's a sort of a noir detective story and I you know, looked at a bunch of references, I found this very cool series of British printings of Agatha Christie novels from the 80s that had this great font that I knew what the Font it was based on was, but the font itself had no digital version. I was unable to find it, so I ended up redrawing the typeface. But the reason I was attracted to the typeface was because the lowercase g had this really beautiful kind of fat swish coming off the bottom <laughs> of it, and I was just like, I really love that lowercase g. I got to the title of the movie didn't even have a lowercase g, but a couple <laughs> of the other credits did. So as long as that lowercase g ended up in there somewhere,
1: I was going to be happy.
0: There's a beautiful description <laughs> of, of a small case g. We're
1: going to have to go and root it out in some chat. <laughs> Shop. So I mean, maybe well, was a specific, specifically beautiful G. I'll send
2: it to you. Please
1: <laughs> do. I suppose you're breaking open the process here a little bit. How much of it is just diving into the research, becoming a bit of a design magpie, and what sort of markers or? teasing that you're kind of picking up on from the project uh, in terms of when you're trying to find this font
2: yeah i mean a lot of it for me is the research because i feel like there's always sort of an easy answer to title design and sometimes there are movies where i feel like well i could just give them this this and this and those would look good and be appropriate and they would probably sign off on it but i have to make the job not boring for me which means sometimes i have to dig a little deeper. So I usually try to spend like a full day looking at any references that I can possibly think of that are even tangentially related to the subject matter. And sometimes that means looking at old book covers. Sometimes it means looking through old type specimen books less often, but sometimes it means looking at old movie titles. To give you an example, I worked on a movie called The Old Man and the Gun, directed by David Lowry. And at the time I was hired to do the titles, it was already common knowledge that this was going to be Robert Redford's last starring role in a movie. And I felt like there was something we could do just to give a nod to that historically. And looking back at all the Redford movies, there are two other Redford movies with a similar title construction, by which I mean, this one's called The Old Man and the Gun. There's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm -hmm. And there's another lesser known sort of 70s movie called Little Hoss and Big Halsey. All of them have this and that. And (laughs) Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Little Hoss and Big Halsey both use the same font called Hobo. It's this very almost silly looking 19th century typeface that got really popular in the 70s because it looks both kind of like old Western and 70s at the same time. And I just said to, you know, I did a bunch of options for him, but I kind of got on the phone with David and I said, look, I mean, we have a very rare opportunity here to just like tie a little bow in film history. There are two (laughs) other Robert Redford movies with the same title construction. They use this font already. This is his last movie. We should just use this font. Like if we don't, we're almost like, committing a crime against film history. And he agreed. And so that's the font in the movie.
0: I love that that is... I mean, Michael is in his element here as nerd in residence. That's one of the best, most detailed (laughs) nerdy stories I've ever heard. It's amazing. (laughs) So you talk there about paying essentially an homage to previous films. If you are asked to do something that is a specific genre that you will associate with a certain font or a certain style... Do you try and go completely the opposite direction to try and mix it up a bit? And how do you like put your own stamp on that while still making it obvious that it is that genre?
2: I mean, just thinking about fonts in terms of genre is actually a really good question because so much of what the titles do is just sort of try to capture a vibe and set the expectations for the audience as to what the film might be. I mean, sometimes you're trying to play against those expectations, but... Often signaling a genre is something that titles can do. There's a new movie out just now, uh, directed by Amy Simons, called She Dies Tomorrow. You could kind of call it a horror movie, but it's sort of more of an existential, psychological horror movie than it is an actual horror movie. It's about a a virus that takes over a bunch of people that makes them kind of obsessed with the idea that they're going to die tomorrow Mm -hmm. and sort of what that does to them. So it's a little surreal, The ways in which it's a horror movie are mostly its vibe and its tone. But the title that I designed for it and Amy's direction with the title was she wanted it to look very kind of conventional genre horror. Like it should kind of smack you in the face. It should look a little bit creepy and it should be kind of ominous. So – You know, we really lean into the genre of the title design there as if, you know, I was doing a title for a Saw movie or something in hopes of just sort of setting that expectation for the audience, even though the movie itself doesn't necessarily fulfill on all of the promise of that title design in an interesting Mm -hmm.
1: way. Yeah, I think that also applies, doesn't it? There's this balance between a film that may be crossing genres or maybe not fully within one genre, like I think of Hereditary and Midsummer as well, which they're two films where... The title has become part of the marketing. It's part of the, one of the first things that people see and think about with the film. I think about Ladybird. When I'm thinking about the poster for Ladybird, I'm thinking about the title treatment. And that's quite a responsibility to put onto the title designer. And I wonder whether that changes the process, the job, the I mean, the pressure on you <laughs> at all?
2: I mean, uh, luckily I didn't feel that responsibility or that pressure when I was designing the titles because for Ladybird I didn't know they were going to use it for the marketing mm-hmm. when I designed the title. That sort of main title treatment that everyone is kind of familiar with from the poster from the marketing I designed in 2015 when Greta Gerwig the director was pitching the movie. She came to my office and we um, scanned a bunch of photos from her high school yearbook and all of these kind of references from her sort of teenage life and made a a, a website that was sort of like a pitch deck and I designed that black letter, vaguely Catholic school-ish looking type treatment during that process. And it just happened to carry over into the film itself. I worked with Leanne Shapton on those titles and we did an entire design process with Greta where we presented several options, but ultimately we ended up with that title treatment that was designed for the pitch just because it felt right. And by that point, Greta had been looking at it in conjunction with the movie for so long that it just sort of felt married to it um and the process there was that I would design the type on the computer and then Leanne would actually paint it um, by hand and the hand-painted alphabet that we developed for the film just the people at a24 and the marketing company they hired to do the poster liked it a lot and just asked if they could use it. And we just gave them all the files and they ended up carrying it through. So that was just sort of a lucky thing. If I had known, you know, there was sort of the pressure of like finding the identity for the film that everyone was going to see on the poster and everything when I was doing the titles, uh, you know, I might not have landed on that solution.
0: Can we talk about your relationship with Ari Aster? Because as michael was just talking about hereditary and midsummer are both already so iconic i mean i love those films so so much and just kind Me of too. yeah yeah i mean who couldn't but just like revisiting them there's something very tactile about them as well because especially with midsummer you know you have these moving flowers it's it's almost quite sinister i don't know if i was getting the sinister vibe having watched the film but um can you tell me about developing those titles with Ari? and was that all you was that him how collaborative is it
2: well very collaborative with him and he's a person who likes to see a lot of different fonts a lot of options and then kind of develop the look over a series of rounds of design i mean i you know just talking about how i started working with him in hereditary um the post-production supervisor kind of got in touch and sent me a cut of the movie and i hadn't met him before and also just keep in mind there was no hype behind this movie it hadn't been to any festivals yet no one had seen it there were no reviews this is how i often get involved in projects and you know this was his first film so i watched it as i would watch any rough cut you know late at night the day before i'm supposed to talk to the director (laughs) and just having no idea what this is it seems sort of like this family drama and then all of a sudden this girl's head gets decapitated in a car and I was just like, what am I wa- watching? I mean, and then, and then I, ha- I didn't actually finish the movie the first night I started watching it. I finished it on my computer at work and I just remember broad daylight, my two business partners in the room, me just sitting there with my headphones watching the last 15 minutes of Hereditary and being scared out of my goddamn <laughs> mind. Sorry about the cursing.
0: I was going to say, so that's why you couldn't watch it the night before because it was so frightening. <laughs> Yeah, it was (laughs)
2: it was sort of too much. I mean, it was I mean, the fact that the movie affected me that deeply in the least sort of cinematic viewing experience, like sitting (laughs) there watching it on a window on my computer and just being just existentially terrified (laughs) and then sort of immediately knowing, oh, this movie is people are going to freak out for it. It's going to be very special. And then the pressure was on for me, just knowing like how good it was.
0: I just wanted to ask about the actual inherited letters, I suppose, in oh, the yes. sequence, which uh-huh. I just think is so brilliant visually and picks up on the theme of the film in such a brilliant, subtle, creepy way. Well, thank you. Can you just talk a bit about the concept of that?
2: Yeah, I can. I mean, I, I don't know how I... Came up with it, but I got to say, I was so excited when I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Most of what I do is very visual and tone-based and just sort of trying to find the thing that's the right look with the film. Very rarely do I have a capital I idea like that, um, where something about the titles, you know, animation-wise or look-wise, actually conceptually relates to the movie in a way that the audience can understand. So as soon as I sort of came up with that, I was just like, oh my God, I have a good idea for this. This is going to (laughs) be so cool. But then I was like, well, it's it's only going to work if every... You know, you have an official order of credits that you have yeah. to follow because there's all these contracts and stuff. So I, this is only going to work if, the, if it actually works. If there's always one letter from the previous name that can drop down to the next name, and amazingly, that was the case. And the process with title design is always such that there's going to be changes. Sort of a new producer is added on or one is dropped off. So I was just sort of crossing my fingers and hoping it's hope that there were like. Very few changes here, but the producers came to me pretty late in the game after the title sequence had been locked and said, I'm so sorry, but we have to change around the order of some of the actors for contract reasons. And I just was like, my heart sunk <laughs> into my stomach. I was like, if the order changes and this idea doesn't work, then we're screwed. We have to just do something else. But luckily, even after they switched them around, it was just kismet. Like I could still do it. Oh, my um, goodness. You asked us a question about the flowers in Midsummer, and that was actually a totally last minute Thing. You know, he had chosen the font out of a bunch of options I had sent. I mean, there were some, you know, wackier, more fun type things that were, you know, sort of very specific to, um, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, there's a library and you can go and um, it's a reference library and you can go and look at, you know, books there. You can't actually check them out. But I looked at a bunch of like Swedish handcraft books oh, and, wow. all you know, all of this stuff. And they have a scanner there. And I did a pretty wide search for some weird type stuff we could do for that movie that would be appropriate and sort of match with the production design. We ended up with a pretty simple typeface. And just in an effort to do something else with it, I just sort of had this nagging feeling in the back of my head as we were about to deliver the title. It's like, there's got to be some extra element here that can just make them special. And then I just thought about that last shot of Florence Pugh surrounded by flowers. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, it could be really beautiful to have flowers somehow like blooming out of the letters or something and then i downloaded some stock footage of like slow motion flowers blooming and quickly mocked up the first four or five titles and sent them over to ari and he just flipped for it and then (laughs) you know it was just sort of like a very last minute thing and i I did it all in a matter of a few hours so the titles were done i just added flowers to them
0: (laughs) amazing
1: so cool that's really incredible i think i wanted to ask what the deepest research rabbit hole Mm. you've had to go through to find the perfect font for a title has been we've had a few so far maybe the, the hobo font the going to find these swedish designs etc <laughs> but is the one that comes to mind when we think about the deepest or the longest journey you've been on to find the right font
2: i mean i worked on little women and my goal there was really to find a font that was era specific that there was no digital version of so that i would have to kind of i really dug through a bunch of 19th century type specimen books to find a font that was cool and unique would have been around during the time the movie took place and also nobody had redrawn and made into a digital font so i could just use the scan of the type specimen book and make the font myself out of it that was a fairly deep rabbit hole but i mean when i think of like the rabbit holes i've gone down probably the biggest one didn't involve finding a specific font but it was more about image licensing. Um, I did the titles for a show called Little America. It's an anthology series about immigrants coming to America. And the showrunners wanted to have a title sequence that sort of was really um, based in this kind of classic Americana look in a slightly ironic way. So I found the Library of Congress has all these incredible public domain resources and um, a lot of, like, super high-res images you can download off their site. And I found this archive called the John Margolis Roadside America Archive. And it's just this one photographer who spent... Forty years of his life, just on Route 66, and taking pictures of roadside diners and uh, you know strange billboards, and it goes from the late 60s to the early 90s, basically this archive. And he gave the entire archive to the Library of Congress, and it's in the public domain, so supposedly you know you can use it for whatever you want. So I I made this entire title sequence where I found all of these signs and I sort of rearranged the letters on them to spell the names of the people that were involved in each episode of the show and you know it's this kind of fun thing because it's a lot of the episodes star immigrants or were written by people whose names aren't necessarily like stereotypically uh, quote-unquote american names and seeing these juxtaposed on these classic americana looking billboards was kind of a cool thing so the title sequence was like totally done and then the legal people got involved And here I'm thinking like this is public domain, so we're fine to use any of it. But then it turns out, you know, it was a big education for me. I learned anything that has a person's face in it, even if the photo itself has been public domain, you have to clear that person's face. So I had to erase all of the people that were in the photos and then anything that can be construed as. "Quote unquote artwork." So if there's a giant statue of a cowboy next to a barn or something, because we don't know the artist who created that cowboy, we can't use it in the sequence. So either I have to paint the cowboy out and put sky there, or I have to replace it. So the job ended up being me like creating this crazy spreadsheet, you know, telling the legal people exactly what I did to the photo to try to make it clearable and. when I think about rabbit holes I've gone down, that's the <laughs> one that, that I think of as being the most rabbit holy.
1: That's the exact kind of rabbit hole I like hearing about. <laughs> but you, you bring up TV series now, or at least miniseries. Does the job fundamentally change when it's going to be a title sequence people watch over and over again, develop relationships with, and maybe even change over the season or in successive seasons, thinking about you know, Mozart in the Jungle, Everything Sucks, Russian Doll?
2: I mean, of, of course, it's different in some way because the question you asked before about finding the kind of identity Mm. for the film i think that is more applicable with tv where whatever the title treatment is it does sort of have to feel like it can encompass the entire show and which is hard especially because when i'm getting involved there may only be two or three episodes that i can actually watch to get the vibe of it you know with with mozart in the jungle for instance the two seasons i did do the way i approached them was each opening title is its own kind of 15 second animated short really that works with just geometry and each sort of geometric shape and color represents a different sound and each episode is its own sort of slight remix of the theme song so those are never the same either so i mean that's sort of one way to get over the sort of repetitiveness of watching a tv title over and over again is just to make it different every time i would say with russian doll it's a little different because it's that's really just a title over picture and you know it comes on for four seconds and then it goes off so you don't really have to worry about boring the audience in the same way (laughs) It's a very um, cool font, and like
0: Russian dolls.
2: Yeah, it's a, I, I do love that typeface. And it's weird because the way I went about that was just, I, I looked at a lot of references in the same way. I mean, you think about, like, you know, you can't actually use anything that's legitimately, quote-unquote, r- Russian because the Russian language uses a Cyrillic alphabet. Uh, you can't do an English word in a russian alphabet it's impossible but this typeface i found is weirdly just this font that i it's it's a, n- another kind of 19th century typeface not designed by a russian or anything but it does happen to show up on a ton of textbooks about russia from the 70s and 80s just like it's, it somehow got associated with it in some way i just liked that it sort of felt v- vibe-wise to fit with that word russian doll really well even though <laughs> The font itself has nothing to do with Russia.
0: Um, something. That... Nor does the show really. <laughs> That's true. Something that I've been thinking about was how characters sometimes interact with titles, and examples that sprang to mind. There's a British TV show called Teachers, where like they go through like the days of the week, and every day of the week is written in a slightly different way, whether it's on a billboard or leaves on the street that someone then sweeps away, things like that. So how creative can you get with titles? Are you ever able to come on earlier and have titles that interact with characters and vice versa?
2: In the film itself that are sort of shot at like built elements, you mean.
0: Does that, is that a thing? Um, Does that happen? It
2: is. It's very rare. I mean, the one example that comes to mind is Her Smell, which is a film by Alex Ross Perry. He's the kind of guy I've worked with him on four, maybe five movies at, at this point. So he will bring me on pretty early and start talking about titles at the script level, which is very rare. And in this case, I designed the main title treatment and then his art department had it made into a neon sign that was actually shot and in, in the movie. So the opening shot of the movie starts on the title and then pans down to Elizabeth Moss's face underneath the neon sign that was built. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I wish I had the sign. I think he does. <laughs> <laughs> should have gotten him to make me a, a copy of it.
1: So you've invoked the name of Alex Ross Perry and I'm a huge fan of his work. <laughs> so I think now I, have, I have, now I have license to nerd out a little bit. <laughs> (laughs) I mean, what I love about his films, particularly the last sort of four or five, is that he's been reusing sort of key collaborators such as yourself. But also, I love that he brings you into his world. You know, of course, title designs exist sort of non-diegetically. They're on the posters, marketing, the intro and outro sequences. But for example, the book designs in Listen Up, Philip, or the band identities within Her Smell. I love that he's bringing your designs into the world like that. How does he come to you and challenge you in that way or give you these new briefs?
2: Well, like I said, it it starts really early. I mean, I've known Alex for a long time. He and I were on a trivia team together, a movie trivia team. And uh, we've what, got to know, what, what, what was the name? What was the name of the team? <laughs> oh, the name of our team was La Ventura, When Nature Calls.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um,
2: we're pretty stacked team i was definitely the least uh like had the least film knowledge of anyone on that team but it was a it was a lot of fun but at that time you know i had known alex for a little while just through mutual friends and you know with listen up philip he and jason schwartzman had come up with a long list of book titles and i guess to give some background the movie is about authors all of the characters in the movie have written books basically so these books appear throughout the movie and specifically the You know, sort of Philip Roth avatar. His name is Ike Zimmerman in the movie. We wanted him to sort of feel like he had a full career that spanned a lot of different decades and therefore a lot of different styles of book cover design this stuff frankly for me is very easy because it's really just mimicry which is the most fun thing to do and it's the easiest way to kind of apply my craft when there's no real conceptual rigor that needs to be done i just really wanted to make realistic looking philip roth book covers so a lot of them are just almost total rip-offs <laughs> of actual Philip Roth book covers or Martin Amis book covers. And then some of them are direct parodies of existing book covers. Um, So that was really fun to do because it's one skill I don't mind like bragging about having because I (laughs) feel like it's it's pretty useless, except in very specific moments like these, which are just like making something look exactly like a real old piece of design. So that was a really fun place to flex that muscle because it's not one that you know, is appropriate, usually. I mean, normally you want to come up with something new. (laughs) But in this case, I was just sort of trying to create a world that felt real. And the same thing went for Her Smell, where I started a folder on my desktop and I just went through every female-fronted rock band that made an album in the 80s and 90s and downloaded their entire discography's <laughs> uh, album covers. And, you know, I picked the band logo for this one and the kind of photo treatment for this one and mashed them up.
1: But that that is so cool, and I think it's a slightly different thing to Listen Up Philip, which is so clearly Philip Roth. Her Smell is just this amalgamation of all the riot girl alt-rock singer-songwriters you can think of a little bit of pj harvey there connie love here but that's what i love about that film and the way it looks
2: that's true but really the care i mean there are sort of one-to-one um i think zelda is the name of the character that is basically i don't know if she's based on pj harvey the way alex wrote her but her album covers are certainly all PJ Harvey album covers, um, and most of them are directly from the whole discography.
1: Yeah. Well, in fact, Rihanna and I were just talking about this earlier, that Her Smelly is exactly the sort of music film I love, where it's <laughs> not one-to-one biopic, but it's something that just is, you know, just drinking in the soup of a scene and then making a comment on it. That's what mm-hmm. I loved about that film. Anyway, I've geeked out way too much about Alex Ross Perry's movie. <laughs> so we get back on track in some way, Rihanna.
0: Well, I just wanted to... You sort of touched on the idea of going back and picking up on an era, etc. So I would love to know about, like, the history of A Drop Shadow and why did that become so, like, overused and how did that die out and have you brought it back?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Drop shadows. In design school, they're the kind of thing that you're just told never to use because you sort of have these things built into the Adobe software that create drop shadows for the type and they just make everything look immediately corny. But when you're doing film titles and a lot of times the titles just go over top of the existing picture, sometimes it's going to be impossible. You know, if there's a shot that. The director really likes and wants to put the title over and the title's supposed to be white and the shot has a lot of sky in it sometimes it's just be impossible to read and you have to do something in order to have it sit on the on the picture in a way that you can actually read it and sometimes that means you have to kind of resort to a drop shadow and so the thing i've sort of done to avoid driving myself crazy is to look back at the history of film titles and the way that drop shadows were used and they're actually really prevalent if you look at titles especially from the 60s Through the 80s, there's a very specific kind of drop shadow that comes from the use of the optical printer, which is how you would make titles back in the day. Mm -hmm. And the drop shadow from old film titles, it doesn't look like the drop shadow that the Adobe software makes where it just sort of makes a copy of the type and then offsets it a few pixels underneath it the drop shadow looks sort of connected in almost a 3D way to the type itself so I'm always trying to replicate that look when I make a drop shadow rather than the kind of out of the box drop shadow that comes with the software that's a very nerdy thing no, to get I into I so so find it
0: so <laughs> interesting if you don't know much about typography I think it's this whole new world to explore which is why I really love doing this podcast because I do feel like you're giving me me a little window into this whole new world. So i was just thinking about like a very famous title like Drive, that neon pink, that specific font. But then after we saw that, we saw that font, we saw that colour everywhere. So are you sort of aware of fonts becoming very overused, very over trendy? you trying to avoid certain things at all costs because you know that they are going to be splashed over every magazine, every poster for like the next five years? hundred percent.
2: Yeah, I think you have to be. You never want to feel like the thing that you're doing is part of some kind of trend or is part of some you don't want somebody to say and be like oh that looks like drive I mean you want it to feel tied to the movie that you're working on and not some other thing unless you're specifically trying to make an allusion to something that people will recognize um I think you have to be very aware of what's going on trend-wise and most of the time trying to go against it.
1: The thing about title design, I know that all the way through, Rihanna and I have been saying how we're not design-minded. We're not experts in the way that you are. But however, it is one of those things, isn't it, that people will have a strong opinion either way when they see something like a font or a title design for the first time. And in some ways, that's a great leveler. But also, to be a designer, you have to be quite confident, I suppose. How do you reckon with that, where everyone can be a critic? Oh, gosh.
2: Um, I don't. I don't. (laughs) at all. I mean the great thing about doing this kind of very specific very esoteric job is that if a title is really cool like somebody might stick around and look for your name in the credits but 99 times out of 100 like no one cares. And uh, you know if I feel like something's really gotten away from me or I feel like I've done a bad job or the director and I just didn't see eye to eye I mean I'm in the position of being the guy who makes the titles so I can just take my name off it myself.
0: (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing
2: <laughs> but yeah you know I, I would say most people don't think about the titles at all so um, you, you really have to do something great in order for anyone to notice it so only the stuff I've done that is my best work is the stuff that has been noticed I mean for the most part I c- can kind of get away with not embarrassing myself um, but You know, most people don't notice it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And when you're designing something from scratch, do you always do it on, like, an iPad? Do you sketch by hand? What's your very first thing that you do?
2: Very rarely do I work by hand. It's mostly on the computer. I mean, for instance, if I find an old reference that I scan from a book, I'm usually then tracing it on the computer or using the scan itself in some way to make the typeface. You know, I would say, like, a handful of movies I've worked on, I just end up using my own handwriting for the titles, which is something i got from the title designer pablo Farro, who did the titles for dr strangelove where really he just used his own Handwriting every time, and that's always been really inspiring to me. It's just sometimes when there's not a correct font, and you're looking for a more informal vibe, it's just to get out a pen and write the title down in whatever cursive style you can think of, and just put it on the screen. So I would say when I'm using my hands to design, it's mostly in in those cases, which are rare but really fun.
1: So Teddy, we're building the fictional rap party, and you're invited. All of our guests are invited. However, each guest is allowed to invite someone along for the party as well. And so I wanted to ask who would you want to invite to the wrap party. This could be somebody from your profession. This could be somebody from a different profession, alive or dead, who you'd love to have a drink with at this wrap party.
2: Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to sort of take a slightly different bent on this question. Um, I'm going to come to the party alone um, because (laughs) I want to find out, you know, if I'm coming to the wrap party, I want to I want to get all the sort of behind the scenes gossip and find out what really happened, you know, over the course of making this production. So I think vibe wise, I would probably corner and talk to somebody from the camera team maybe the steady cam operator i feel like i always get along with those the people <laughs> that work on the camera team but i think if you really want the uncensored behind the scenes gossip you have to talk to uh, someone who's not very loyal to the production or the people in charge of it so you got to find a pa really
0: <laughs> so sneaky teddy blanks thank you so much for hanging out with us at the wrap party
2: oh it's my pleasure great party <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm obsessed with Teddy. What a great
1: guest. He was amazing, wasn't he? And just bringing up all sorts of stuff I hadn't really realised about these title designs I knew. I loved talking about Hereditary, the way you put it about the actual font itself being like given from one generation to the next through the opening titles.
0: Fascinating. Like, honestly, it's like a proper deep dive into stuff that you would never think about just watching a film. I love the amount of detail that we get to go into <laughs> with this podcast. We talked about A lot of stuff. But head to Prime Video to watch Teddy's work in Mozart in the Jungle, which I really recommend you do because it's just so different in every episode. And also Midsummer with those wonderful, eerie, moving flowers.
1: And Teddy mentioned that he's working on Regina King's directorial debut. That's One Night in Miami. It's about a meeting between Cassius Clay, Malcolm X, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke. The film's actually been acquired by Amazon Studios already. and I can't wait to watch that one. That's going to be great. Big Regina King. Regina
0: King, yes please helming a film double yes please if you head to the show notes of this episode you can find links to loads of other works that we spoke about with teddy just like his work with your fave alex ross perry including her smell which i gather michael you're a bit of a fan of
1: I could hear him talk about that. Talk (laughs) about 90s album covers for another couple of hours. (laughs) We've also put in links to books by some of the authors that Teddy referenced uh, for when they were developing the fake book covers for Listen Up, Philip.
0: And we started this episode talking about Stanley Kubrick's fonts. And of course, Teddy brought up Pablo Ferro, who did Doctor Strangelove, but arguably more importantly... Men in Black. So if you haven't checked out Pablo's work, do have a watch.
1: Rihanna, what a, another amazing addition to the rap party.
0: And we are just getting started because over the rest of this series, we're going to be adding many, many more to our extraordinary guest list. And we're very excited to have you join us for the rest of the party.
1: Rap Party with Prime Video is a Little Dot Studios production for Prime Video.
0: The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader.
1: It is produced by Annie Hughes, Jake Cunningham and Harold McShiel, with additional research from Nicole Davis.
0: Our original music is by Axel Cacoutier.
1: We're edited by Content is Queen.
0: And our artwork is by Sandra Boucher.
1: If you've enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the party.